Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. God willing, we finish up John 17 this morning. We've been going through this prayer. It sort of worked out well in this season of topical sermons of thinking about prayer. Well, this is a prayer. And then there's an emphasis in this uh, prayer on unity. And we've thought about biblical unity. And and now we're going to think about Uh, Those topics, again, because they're weaved throughout the prayer, but also missions today, missions. This is our Mission Sunday where we encourage one another through the Word to pursue evangelism and missions uh, in the neighborhood and in the world. John 17, verses 18 through 26. John 17, beginning in verse 18, Jesus is here praying to His Father. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you, Jesus, that you pray for us here, and that you still pray for us. Lord, we ask that what you pray for here would happen more and more in our lives as individuals and as a congregation, as a larger church. Lord, we pray that we would be sanctified in the truth. We pray, Lord, that we would know and never doubt that, Father, you've sent the Son, that he is the God-man, died and risen and ascended into heaven. Lord, we pray that we would become perfectly one so that the world may know that Jesus was sent into the world. Lord, we pray that we would know this great love, that we would know that You love us, even as, Father, You love the Son. Father, we pray that this this love that that You have uh, in the the Trinity, that love, that, that power of God to love would be in us, that we would have the power of God to love God. Lord Jesus, we pray as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 that Christ, you would dwell in our hearts through faith more and more. You dwell in our hearts, you're in us, but he prays for it to happen more and more. We pray for that, Lord. We want more of Christ. 
We want to know you, Jesus our Lord. We want to know you more. And so God, we pray that one of the results of us meeting this morning is that we know you more. That we leave more amazed at grace, more uh, amazed at the beauty of Jesus, more enraptured with your love, Lord, more devoted to you, more committed to you, more humble, more loving, more filled with your Holy Spirit. And so God, please do that, not because we deserve it, but simply because of mercy. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. We have seen in this prayer... That Jesus is praying for you. That Jesus is guarding you. That Jesus is granting you His joy. He's giving you His Father's Word. And the Father is keeping you and sanctifying you through His Word so that you may be one even as Jesus and His Father are one. And, and the, the thesis phrase from last Sunday's sermon was Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people, so pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. And what is the purpose of this unity? What is the purpose of this unity? Well, we see again and again that the purpose of us being one, of us being unified is for those in the world to know Christ. Jesus prays that we would be one and love each other and be one even as the Father and the Son are one so that the world may come to know Christ. Jesus sends His disciples into the world as a unified body and that oneness actually attracts the world to Christ so that all peoples from every nation will one day be in His presence to behold the glory of the Lord. And so, what I'm seeking to drive home this week from the text is go as Jesus sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost and world missions. And above all, pursue Christ in His glory. Go as Jesus has sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost and world missions, and above all, pursue Christ and His glory. Point number one, Jesus sent His disciples into the world on a mission. Look at verse 18 again. Jesus prays to His Father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The Father sent His Son Jesus into the world. And Jesus was sent into the world to glorify His Father. We saw that in verse 4. Jesus prayed, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus came to glorify His Father. And Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners. Children, how many of you know John 3.16 by heart? I saw your hand first, David. Can you say it loudly? I mean, Nathan, sorry, Nathan, yes. Where's David? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Parents, if you've not taught your children that verse, make that a priority this week. So that at the end of the week, all your children know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. The Father sent His Son into the world that the world might be saved. For God so loved the world, both Jew and Gentile, all peoples, all nations. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. When we hand out tracts at ShopRite, there are ladies that walk by that are covered in their hijabs. And I, I, good news about Jesus, that they point. You see that? Some of them get mad at me. You see this? And my response is, we love Muslims to come. We want Muslims to come. Muslims need Jesus. You need to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we love you. We, we want you to be saved. We, we want you to be born again. We, we want you to know Christ. And, and God sent His Son to the world to save sinners. God so loved the world. He, he loves those who hate Him, who rebelled against Him, who sinned against Him, who reject Him. He loves His enemies. And so He sent His Son Jesus, the, the God-man, the perfect one. And He came... Uh, living and loving and serving like no man has ever lived and loved and served. He never sinned. He's the only one who never sinned. And He loved and He died on the cross. He died where He took what we deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve God's judgment because we've been bad. <laughs> we've broken His laws and commandments. We've, we've not been as thankful as we should. We've not pursued Him as we should. We've not been enraptured with His love as we should. We, we found Him boring. Boredom is a sin. <laughs> Worthy of hell. And we have sinned against God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God sent His Son to save us. And so He took that hell that we deserve and poured it on His Son on the cross. And He died. And he was buried. And he rose on the third day. And he ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords so that all who repent, turn from your sin and believe in him can be saved. Friend, have you done that? I urge you to trust in Jesus and be saved today. If, if that's a new message to you, if, if that's something you're unfamiliar with, please find me afterwards and talk to me. Find one of the other Christians in the congregation. We want to talk to you about that. We want you to know Him and be saved. You know, when you trust in Him, this, this is something you can't work for, you can't earn, you can't do enough to get it. You can simply receive it by faith alone and Christ alone. And when you do that, He transforms your life. He declares you righteous. He adopts you into His family. All your sins are cast behind His back and He remembers them no more. And His Spirit dwells in you and empowers you then to obey for joy and not from burden. And we want you to know Him. We want you to know Him so that you can know Jesus is praying this prayer for you. And so please come and talk to me afterwards. Find someone else and talk to them. We want you to trust Christ. Well, just as the Father sent His Son Jesus into the world, Jesus sends His disciples into the world. So we are sent into the world like Jesus to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. I bet some of you children know that one. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever we do, we're to do it to, to showcase God is who is most important to me and give Him glory. And we are sent into the world to save sinners. God sent us into the world to save sinners. 
I wonder, I wonder how many of you are thinking, well, uh, we can't save anybody, only Jesus saves. Well, that's true, but God uses that language. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And Paul was a Calvinist before Calvin. He was a Jesusist. That I might save some. He had a burden to see people saved. And God saves sinners through us going out and sharing the gospel with people. Our church's mission statement is, members, answer this under your breath. Our church's mission statement is this. Can you do it? I want you to know our mission statement, if you're members especially. Our mission statement is, is, I like our mission statement more than any other church's mission statement because our church's mission statement is perfect. Our church's mission statement is infallible. Our church's mission statement is God-breathed. Our church's mission statement is straight from the words of Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our mission as a church. Jesus has sent us. The Father has sent us. Just as Jesus has been sent, He sends us. And Jesus calls us to evangelize the lost. Jesus saves us to send us out to help others come to know Him. And we want to encourage one another to do that. Kent Hughes tells this story of his evangelism endeavor, which he didn't want at first. He says, one day, a number of years ago, I called home late one afternoon to see how things were going around the house. As my wife and I talked, she said, oh, by the way, we received a call from the Youth Soccer Association here in town. They were wondering if you might be a coach. I said, well, you told them no, didn't you? She said, I just didn't have the heart to say no. You'll have to tell them yourself. I assured her I would and be firm about it. By the time I got home, I had all my reasons laid out. I did not have time. I did not know anything about soccer. I did not want to do it. I firmly gripped the phone and dialed. As I talked to the poor woman at the end of the other line, I learned there would be no team if I did not coach. I remember my family chuckling in the background as they heard me say, yes, I can do it. The only good thing was that I would get to coach one of my sons. The next thing I knew, I was up there late. I was up late reading soccer books, trying to understand what a center halfback was, the offsides rule, etc. Suddenly, I had a coach's whistle, and I was occupied three days a week from four to six uh, and half of a Saturday. The season did not go very well at the beginning. You've probably heard the saying, if the bugle gives an uncertain sound, who will follow? That described my coaching, I'm afraid. Fortunately, I had some good players and the team came together as the season went on. In fact, in one of the last games of the season, we beat the number one team in the last second of the game and thus made the playoffs. On the night before the playoffs, I invited the team to my church for a potluck dinner and their, with their parents. Even both sides of divorced parents came. Toward the end of the evening, I said to them, 
If it is all right with you, I would like to share something from the Word of God. The parents agreed, and I told the boys the story of David and Goliath with practical applications. The next day, we went into the playoffs. We lost in the final minutes, one to zero, but that is not where the story ends. Sunday morning, when I stepped into the pulpit, I looked out at the congregation, and there were all my players wearing their orange jerseys and their parents too, Jews, Muslims, Mormons, and several others with varying backgrounds. That began a ministry to several of those families' lives. I did not want to coach. I did not have time to do it. But because I just did not know how to say no, I ended up coaching. And that turned out to be one of the great experiences of my life. Despite my reluctance, I experienced the truth that our lives are, to be one, are not to be ones of isolation or assimilation, but of mission. Of mission. That's what we as Christians do. We, we don't do anything, even coaching soccer, without thinking of eternity. These little boys I'm coaching soccer are going to die and go to hell, and their parents are going to die and go to hell if they don't hear about Jesus and believe in Him. That's just how Christians think. That, that was the, that's the biggest change that happened in my life when I actually became a Christian. That's the biggest change that happened in my life when I went from nominal church every Sunday but bored to death and wishing I was somewhere else Christianity, which is not Christianity, is I, God saved me. He's keeping me from going to hell. i got to tell people or they're going to go to hell. This is what we do as Christians. This is just what we do. This is just how we roll. If we're really born again, we tell people about Jesus. We love to. We love Him. We can't shut up about Him. We love Him more than anything. We're, again, we're, we're like the, 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 the young girl that gets engaged. you got to show everybody the ring. You're so happy. You're on cloud nine. You can't shut up. We're, we're, like, we're, we're going to be like Heidi and, and Isaac. They have their baby this week. Look, look at the baby. Look at the picture. Look at my baby. Amen. That's how it should be. And it should be infinitely more about Jesus. Because he's better. He's better than babies and husbands and wives. He's better than any joy you could have in his life. And so we tell people about him. That's what we do. That's what he sent us to do. Not only evangelism. So us here in Olney in Philadelphia. In our families over Thanksgiving and over Christmas meals. But, but Jesus calls us all to support missions through prayer and giving. And He may call some of us to world missions to go, to go out into the world. We should all have a burden for this. As one has said, you can give money to missions overseas, you can pray about missions overseas, or you can, be, you can go overseas, or you can be disobedient, but there's no other option. And I want us to get this as a church. I, I want us to not be ignorant about this. The need is great. And I've heard that sometimes, uh, you know, when, when people are thinking of missions, they, they, people can respond by saying, well, the needs are great here. Friend, that is an ignorant response. I, I want you to really not be ignorant and foolish by saying that. So I want to just spend some time on this today. Um, if someone comes to you and is thinking about going to overseas missions, don't pour water on that flame by saying, well, the needs are great here. 
The needs are not great here. The needs are not great here. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are a lot of great needs here. That sounds like a contradiction, Pastor Joseph. You just said they're not. There are a lot of great needs here. There are great needs here. People with drug addictions. There are people that are homeless. There are people without money. There are people without jobs. There are people without the gospel that don't know Jesus. There are, you know... Uh, 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 broken homes and children that need adopting and, and there, there, there are great needs in Philadelphia. So what do I mean when I say there are no great needs here? Because, beloved, I want you to understand this. Those exact same needs that are in Philadelphia exist in Somalia. Same, those same needs exist in Somalia. Th- those same needs exist in China. Those same needs exist in Saudi Arabia. Those exact same problems and needs that are here in Philadelphia exist in North Korea as well. But there's one infinitely huge difference. Oni Baptist Church is here. Oni Baptist Church is here. Christ Church Westchester is here. Uh, uh, International Bible Fellowship is right down the street here. There are 140 Southern Baptist churches in this area that preach the gospel and have hope for all those needs. There's no church. No church in these places that are unreached. None. Nothing. Not one. There are no believers in these places. And they have the same needs. If you get that, you'll understand what I mean when I say there are no great needs here. And it might take some time. It might take five or six years of me preaching this sermon for you to get this. But you got to get it. you got to have eyes to see. They don't have Christ. The neighbors across the street, they have access. They can come here today and hear about Jesus. People in Somalia, North Korea, places in China, places in Japan, they have no church at all. And there are other people that they're not even targeting. No mission agency is even targeting them. Do you you feel the weight of that? And yet most of the church's efforts, money, and missionaries, where do they go? Where there are already churches and missionaries. Hardly anybody goes to these places They have no access to Jesus. Why is that? Because it's hard. It's hard to go there. So please get that. Get that. Let that sink in. We've got to be burdened for this. And I'm certainly not saying all of us should go, but we should be burdened to pray about this, to give to this, and possibly some of us go. What is an unreached people group? A people group is considered unreached when there are no indigenous community of believing Christians able to engage this people group with church planning. Technically speaking, the percentage of evangelical Christians in this people group is less than 2%. So there are 7,250 unreached people groups in the world, about 4.8 billion people. 
What is an unengaged people group? Well, that's an unreached people group that are unengaged when there's no such church planning strategy consistent with evangelical faith and practice underway. And so there are people groups that no one's even targeting to go reach. Gathering believers and planning churches are the keys to establishing an effective and multiplying presence among these people groups. There's 3,160 unengaged people groups of about 283 million people. George Murray of All Nations Family writes that only 5% of people that get biblical training plan on going into missions. And of those 5%, only 9.6% go to the unreached people groups and they receive only 1% of the church's money. David Platt writes, North American Christians give an average of 2.5% of their income to churches. Churches give an average of 2% to missions. So for every $100 a North American Christian makes, 5 cents is given to missions. And so we just need to be reminded today of the great need. The, the, the great need that is infinitely greater than anything in Philadelphia or America. I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. I don't want you to be ignorant anymore. I don't want you to be foolish anymore. You need to understand that. And because of that, these words of Jesus should land on us. That we're just as the Father sent the Son, so Jesus sends us. And the Father sends us to reach these people. So go as Jesus has sent you. Go as Jesus has sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost. And pursue world missions. And above all, pursue Christ in His glory. Point number two. Jesus sanctified Himself so that His disciples would be sanctified in truth. Look at John 17, 19. And for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify. It's really the same word uh, as, as, as Jesus uh, uses for us. And, and, and for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, Jesus didn't need to become more holy. He was and is and always will be sinless, perfect holiness and righteousness. So what does it mean when Jesus says, I sanctify or consecrate myself? It means He sets Himself apart for the work that God has called Him to do. To die and rise for the sake of His people. And so He's, he's set apart. He's, he's consecrated. He's sanctified unto the Lord for the Lord's work that He's called Him to do. Like the priest was in Exodus 40, verses 12 through 13. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. And so Jesus is set apart to serve, to do what God has called him to do, to offer that final sacrifice for sins that would cleanse and save sinners. And Jesus uh, does this so that He will be sanctified uh, and He then sanctifies us. Jesus dies and rises again. Jesus sanctifies Himself so that we will be sanctified in the truth as we thought about last Sunday, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And so just as Jesus is sanctified for His mission... We are sanctified and become more and more like Christ and are set apart to be sent out on the mission God has for us to reach the world for Christ. And so go as Jesus sent you. Pursue unity, pursue the lost and world missions, and above all, pursue Christ and His glory. 
Point number three, Jesus prays for us to be one so that the world may believe. Look at verses 20 through 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for us and all God's elect. Notice that. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only. So we've we've seen this throughout this uh, series. Jesus is not only praying for his disciples who are right there in his presence, but he says, not for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us. Jesus, back then, was praying for us, and he's still praying for us. And he, he, the way he labels us is those who will believe through their word. If you're a believer here this morning, somehow, through, through the ages, the, the, the gospel was shared by the disciples and shared to others, and they shared it to others, and they shared it to others, and they shared it to others. They kept doing what Jesus is praying for here so that it's come down all the way to us 2,000 years later, and we've believed in Jesus. And the expectation is that we will keep going and telling others. So that 100 years from now, people are still here who believe the gospel in Philadelphia because we've obeyed Jesus. Notice, beloved, that belief in Jesus through the apostolic word gospel is the only way to be saved. <laughs> but also for those who believe in me through their word. That there's no other way to be saved than through this word being passed down and people believing it and being saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except through me. You got to come through Jesus. You got to come through Jesus. It's the only way. And Jesus prays for all God's elect to be one. Verse 21, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Richard Phillips, a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, helpfully describes what this oneness is. We talked about it last week, but we're going to talk about it again. This is, this is a unity that is organic, meaning constituting a whole whose parts are mutually dependent or essential and naturally related. So parts that, that are naturally and essentially and dependent on each other that make up a whole. So think of the illustrations that Jesus gives of believers. They're, they're individuals who, who are connected organically. He uses the image of a vine, right? Most recently in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing he uses the image of a body. Paul does in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul uses the image of a family. Ephesians 1, 5. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. We're adopted into God's family. And so we're unified in that way. We're in the same family. We're in the same body. We're in the same vine. Christ. Christ. This unity is not only an organic unity, it's a, a, a spiritual union. We are in Christ by faith and He is in us by His Spirit. Christ dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the temple of God. And this unity is a unity in truth. It's a unity in truth. And so sometimes people wrongly 
uh, they, they preach unity, 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 but they do it at the expense of truth. We have to be unified in the truth of who Jesus is and what the Word of God says. Unity in truth. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. And uh, recently, I've come into contact with a missionary who's in the International Mission Board, and so we give money to the International Mission Board. That's what the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is all about. It goes to the denominational arm of missions, the International Mission Board, and we, we designate money in our budget to go to the IMB. Well, this guy is an IMB missionary in, in, a, in a Muslim part of the world, and uh, he is aligned with us in the truth in, in ways that some other IMB missionaries aren't. So he did the internship at Capitol Baptist Church. He has the same theology as we do. He has the same ecclesiology as we do. He wants to plant churches. He's not into a lot of these uh, modern uh, missions, uh, get, get rich quick, so to speak, uh, get a lot of converts quick, DMM and CPM things. And so he's aligned with us in the truth. And, and for that reason... I'm, uh, am I asking, am I telling? <laughs> I'm asking the congregation, if you have a, an issue with this, just come let, let me know. We want to give all of the money that, that we have set aside for the IMB to this guy. Because <laughs> the IMB is a mixed bag and you've got some people that are more faithful than others. This guy is really aligned with us, theologically and ecclesiologically. So we just want to give all that money that's already designated IMB specifically to this missionary in a Muslim part of the world Again, an unreached part of the world where nobody wants to go <laughs> because he's aligned with us in the truth in ways that some other IMB missionaries might not be. And as we are unified in this way, we have peace. We have peace. We have peace. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the problem is, the problem with unity and peace and oneness is that there are lots of hindrances in a fallen, broken, sinful world to peace and unity. And I, I want to just quickly cover some of those. Uh, four hindrances to unity. Um, I, I heard Bobby Jameson preach on this in his sermon on this text. Four hindrances to this kind of unity that we need in the church so that the world will be one to Christ. Number one, different personalities. One of the hindrances to unity is different personalities. And what we have to remember is everyone is not like you. Everyone is not like me. And just because they're not like me doesn't make that wrong, right? So we have extroverts and we have introverts. We have emotional people and we have less emotional people. Bobby Jameson was talking about when he first got married, his, his wife would cry and he thought that that was a sign of weakness and not trusting God. And, uh, and then he says, but after I, I matured, I realized, no, it's, just, it's called emotions, and so his wife was different than him. And we can be different from one another, and that's okay. God has made us all different. He's made us all with different gifts. He's made us all with uh, different uh, backgrounds, and that's okay. 
Some are talkative, some are less talkative. Some have different habits, quirks, and mannerisms than others. Uh, And so we all have different personalities, but that's not a reason uh, to divide and nitpick and sin against one another. Number two hindrance to unity is other people's sin. Beloved, I hope you know this, but people are going to sin against you in the church. People are going to sin against you in the church. People are going to hurt your feelings. People are going to say things that are hurtful and painful. Um, uh, How are you going to deal with it? That's the question. How how are you going to deal with it when someone sins against you? Are you going to deal with it as a mature believer? Confess your sins one to another and ask for forgiveness? Are you going to go to one another and follow Matthew 18? Or are you going to talk to other people behind their back, badmouth people, divide, get people on your side, and cause further division? We're going to sin against each other. The question is, how will we handle it? Will we handle it biblically? Confess our sins to God. Go to one another. Confess sin. We had a sermon on conflict resolution. Uh, Will we deal with it in a biblical way? Another hindrance to unity is um, other people's or our own, our own sin. You are going to sin against others in the church. How are you going to handle it? You're going to sin against each other. You're going to sin. What, what do we do when we sin? We go to the person. We say, Ted, I said this. It was hurtful. It was mean. I, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Right? Not just I'm sorry. Not, not, not just that was bad. Will you forgive me? Do you use those words? A lot of Christians don't. It's a transaction. That I'm sorry or I apologize doesn't cut. That's part of it. Will you forgive me? And then, how should Ted respond? Well, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It didn't bother me. A lot of times people in the church, uh, sensitive, they do come to me and say things I don't think they sin. I say, well, for any way in which you think you've sinned against me, I forgive you. We, we, we need to extend forgiveness. And of course, before all of that, we go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. We have our own sin we need to deal with, and that causes disunity. And, and the fourth thing that, that Pastor Bobby mentioned is differences in opinion or conviction. Um, last, last Sunday, I mentioned the whole mask issue. And, and I mentioned how sad I was that the mask issue divided churches over COVID. Satan had a field day in churches during COVID. Over masks, I mentioned a pastor that got fired because of the mask issue. Um, And you you may have certain strong convictions on one side. But friend, there are people on the other side in this church that have the opposite convictions. And and what, what a mature Christian does is not just try to win their side and make fun of the other person. Oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's moronic. Oh, that's dumb. You're just deceived and dumb and stupid. That's not mature Christianity. Mature Christianity realizes that, yes, we have our differences, and yes, I hold my conviction strongly, and yes, I really believe what I believe, but Jesus is this big, and that is not going to separate us. How big is Jesus? How great is Jesus? Is our Jesus great enough to keep unity over that? My Jesus is that big. It saddens me that that kind of thing divides churches. And by all means, have your strong convictions. But you better have a stronger conviction that your Jesus is more precious and that your brother and sister is more precious than dividing over that. 
And I'm trying not to get emotional. But it burns me up that Jesus is not that big to us, that we would divide over something like that. How big is your Jesus? How big? How, hold your strong conviction. But hold on to Jesus stronger. And love each other. Love each other deeply when you have different convictions. Can you do that? Is Jesus that big to you? That's the big Jesus Paul preached in Romans 14, 5 through 12. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all the days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There's the strong conviction. Be fully convinced. Have your strong convictions. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself of himself to God. Praise, I praise God that that didn't divide our church. I just want to publicly praise God that nothing divide, that, over that COVID mess, that satanic uh, d- d- division that happened in churches all over the country and the world did not happen here. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Our Jesus is big. Jesus is more precious to us. Jesus is big. And we hold our firm convictions, but we don't divide. Because, friend, the world's not going to be impressed when we divide like everybody else in the world. When we act just like the world, the world's not going to be impressed. They're not going to see Christ and think, oh, Christ is precious. They're going to be, they're going to, church, like everybody else. You're like everybody else. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he, he's had terrible experiences in churches where there's every church he's been in, there's been division, backbiting, splitting, people making factions, and he doesn't go to church anymore. He doesn't go anymore because he doesn't see any difference between the church and the world. Beloved, Jesus is precious. Jesus is so precious and so big and so mighty and so powerful and so good that we can have strong convictions that are different and still love each other and be one. And Jesus prays for all God's elect to be one, again, to be one so that the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. Look at verse 21. Why why is this oneness so important? This unity so important? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The purpose of this unity is for the salvation of the world. For the salvation of the world. John 13, 34-35, Jesus spoke this way. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how, how does the world know the truth about Christ? It says by us loving one another. With our sins, with the way we sin against each other, with the way others sin against us, with our different convictions, with our different backgrounds, with our different personalities, we love each other. 
Yes, unified in the truth. But we love each other. We love each other through thick and thin. We stay together. We don't separate over stupid stuff. We love each other. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. And as we love each other that way, the world takes note. I don't know if you're on social media much, but Christians need to just meditate on John 17. (laughs) The kind of vile things they say about each other. The kind of division that all these Christian groups are splintering and name-calling and all this mess. When I, I see a lot of that, I'm like, do they not know that every word that they tweet is going to give an account on the day of judgment? They believe in God. They fear God. They think that there's a hell. <laughs> Woo. Beware what you tweet. Every word will be taken into account on the day of judgment. And so we pursue Christ. We pursue unity. We pursue love in the truth so that the world may know. So go as Jesus has sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost in world missions. And above all, pursue Christ in His glory. Point number four. Jesus will give His people glory for the sake of unity and for the salvation of all God's people. Look at verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus will give His people His glory that the Father gave to Him. Did you notice that in verse 22? The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. What does it mean that Jesus will give us God's glory? Richard Phillips comments, Jesus' manifestation of the character and blessing of God. That's what it means. Jesus' manifestation of the character and blessing of God. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gave His disciples the presence of God because He is God. Remember John 1, 14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. We have seen His glory. His beauty. His infinite value. Gone public. John 2.11. This is the first of His signs. When He turned water into wine. This is the first of His signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested His glory. In everything He did. The way He spoke. The way He taught. The way He loved. The way He did miracles. He manifested the glory of God. Perfectly. Without spot or blemish. And remember, he's praying this prayer in John 17 right before he goes to the cross and he prays, Father, glorify me. And so Jesus is glorified at the cross in in his apex, his high point of suffering and humility as he dies for sinners. And just as Jesus was glorified on the cross, we are to follow him in the way of humility and suffering. We're to be humble. We're to be humble before one another. 
Philippians 2, 3 through 8, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're to follow Jesus in this. This is, this, is, this is part of the glory that we humble ourselves before one another and consider others better than ourselves. That's going to foster unity. That's going to foster understanding. That's going to show Jesus to be the big Jesus that he really is. And we're to follow him in that. He's given us this glory. Jesus gives his people this glory so that they will be perfectly one. You, you notice how Jesus repeats this over and over again. You think this is important? You think being one is important? He repeats this over and over and over again in this prayer. That we be one, perfectly one. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfectly one. Kent Hughes comments, the closer we draw to Christ, the closer we draw to one another, like an, in, like an inverted cone, cone, cone. Uh, and, and we start out divided, Christ is at the top, and as we move up, we get closer to Christ, and that brings us closer to one another. The, the more mature we are in Christ, the less divided we will be, even when we have very strong disagreements and convictions. Because Jesus is bigger. Jesus is what captivates us. The mission of Jesus is what captivates us. Notice Jesus repeats this prayer for oneness four times in this prayer. It's important. It's important that we be one. This is the, the last prayer Jesus prays before He goes to the cross. Well, there's Gethsemane, right? This long last prayer, this high priestly prayer that is recorded for us before Jesus goes to the cross, what does he pray for four times? Let my people be one. Let my people be one. Let my people be one. Let my people be one that the world may know. Beloved, Jesus repeats himself in prayer. Let that be an example to us. So can you. <laughs> so can you. You can repeat yourself in prayer. Psalm 136, repetition, it's not bad, even though what your Reformed people sometimes say. Keep crying out to God. Keep begging. Keep repeating. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep going. Keep praying. Jesus, uh, God's people, Jesus' people will be perfectly one again so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. John 17, 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. Why does he want us to be one again? So that the world may know that you sent me. He says it again. He says it again. Kent Hughes comments, Thomas Manton said, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. The converse is also true. Unity in the church builds belief and salvation in the world. Beloved, when we love each other deeply, the world takes notice. When you think about evangelism, when you think about missions, don't leave out the local church. Yeah. 
as we love each other deeply, as we don't let things divide us that divide the world, as we stick together, unity in truth, the world notices. This is what Jesus prays for us. And God's people will be perfectly one so that the world may know that the Father loves His people just as He loves His Son Jesus. This is an amazing thought here in verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Beloved, think about that. Jesus wants the world to know that we are loved by God in the same way He loves His own Son. Do you, do you know that you're that, that loved? Do you know that God loves you that way, believer? That God loves you even as He loves His own Son? D.A. Carson writes, Christians themselves have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because they're loved by the Almighty Himself with the very same love He reserves for His Son. Beloved, think about how the Father loves the Son. Think about how the Father loves the Son. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Does that remind you of a verse in Romans about us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely and graciously give us all things? The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Beloved, God loves you like He loves His own Son. John 10, 17, For this reason the Father loves me, Jesus said, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. God loves you like He loves His own Son. Remember at Jesus' baptism, He heard these words in Matthew three seventeen: This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Beloved, do you realize that God says the same thing over you? You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. At His transfiguration from the cloud, Jesus heard the voice, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Beloved, God says the same thing over you. This is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in you I am well pleased. You're loved with the same love the Father has for the Son. God loves you this way. And in light of that love, in light of that, that security, that deep, grounded security of love, the love of God for you, that frees us in so many ways to love each other and to love the lost and to go and do things that the world thinks are crazy that the world might be saved. I meant to pray for this young man, but God just brought this to my mind. Uh, a, a, a man I went to school with, Bible school in, in Minneapolis, he and his wife and children uh, were doing a, a mission work in Afghanistan. And I just learned this week that for over 450 days, he has been detained by the Taliban in a prison unlawfully while his wife and children are in the U.S. Can you imagine that? And, 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 and 
basically they left when everybody had to leave back in uh, 2021 when we started caring for uh, the, the Khan family. They left, but he's got a business over there to help start other businesses to help the people there. And he's gone back for short trips to try to maintain his business. And on one of those business trips, he was arrested by the Taliban. He's been in prison for over 450 days. And his wife and kids are at home. And she testified before Congress this week, or a few weeks ago. And there's a, a, a letter I'm going to send out this week. I encourage you to pray for Ryan Corbett and his wife and children. And if you want, there's a way you can go on and write the Congress and encourage the senators to take action. Why would they do that? Why would they go to Afghanistan with their children? Because they, they get this prayer. They, they know they're loved by God the way the Father loves the Son. They are absolutely secure in that love of God for them in Christ. That they do crazy things for Jesus. And sometimes bad stuff happens. And we pray and trust God. Go as Jesus has sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost in world missions. And above all, pursue Christ in His glory. Last point, I believe, number five. Jesus prays for His people to be with Him in glory. Jesus prays for His people to be with Him in glory. Look at verses 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You have given Me because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know You, I know You. And these know that You have sent Me. I have known, I have I made known to them Your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them and I in them. Jesus desires for His people to be with Him. Did you notice that? Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, remember that's the elect, those are the chosen before the foundation of the world, that they may be with me where I am. Jesus wants His people to be with Him. Beloved, just, just notice this. Jesus desires you. Jesus desires you. Jesus is excited about being with you. Jesus wants to spend time with you. He he wants to be in your presence. He, He prays in this prayer that they would be with me where I am. He desires you. Matthew Henry writes, Christ speaks here as if He did not count His own happiness complete unless He had His elect with Him to share His happiness with Him. Christ desires His people. He desires His bride. Jesus is our heavenly husband and He wants us. He delights in us. He sings over us. He wants us to be with Him. He's gone 
In, in, in John 14, right, we have this illustration. I remember watching in a Sunday school class at Calvary Baptist Church, they, they, this man, what's his name? I can't remember, but he would go into the, uh, uh, Israel and he would, he would see images of, of the landscape and the land and it would help bring biblical understanding to certain uh, illustrations. And one was John 14 where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you that you may be with me. In, in my house are many, many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place. And, and he went to some of the old homes in ancient Israel, and he showed us that, that when they, in, in families, they would build own rooms. And so the young man would go, and, and he would go and, 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 and propose to his, 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 his girlfriend, his, the woman he's courting, he would propose and ask for her hand, and then he would leave her and go and prepare a place for her and build a, a room onto his father's home that, that when he, they married, he had a place to bring her. And, and so Jesus is using that as an illustration. He's going to his father's home, so to speak, and preparing a place for us, his bride, because he loves us. He cares for us. And we, as his bride, we delight in him. Richard Phillips writes, Indeed, to be with Jesus is the Christian's definition of heaven. We would agree with Samuel Rutherford, who declared, O oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. And you will be with Jesus. And He will be with you for certain. Because in this prayer, Jesus wills it. Father, I will that they be with me where I am. And the Father will answer His prayer. Beloved, notice Jesus prays here. He wants His people to see His glory. Look at verse 24. To see my glory. He wants them to be with Him so they see His glory that the Father has given Him. Beloved, think about the glory that Jesus wants you to see. It's spoken about in Ephesians 1, 20-22. He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every knee and every name that is named, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He put all things under His feet. This is the ascension of Christ, where He's glorified at the right hand of the Father. We're going to see that. We're going to see the glory of Jesus spoken of in Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We're going to see that. We're going to see Him face to face someday. And it will be a glorious, glorious day. And we'll know it was all worth it. All that we suffered, all the pain, we'll know that it was all worth it. Revelation 22, 1-4, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. They will see His face. That's, that's what we're living for. Jesus, You are my reward. To see Your face on that day is all I'm living for. The glorious song I heard on 
contemporary Christian radio. Jesus, you are my reward. To see your face on that day is all I'm living for. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been appeared. But we know that when we, He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Beloved, knowing that that's what's to come, knowing that it's short time, and we will soon, we will soon see His face and enjoy a kind of pleasure and ecstasy and glory that we can never dream or imagine. That empowers us to fight for purity and unity and love and to spread the gospel. It it empowers us to suffer whatever we must suffer to live faithfully for Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Richard Phillips was talking about the last days of uh, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, who was the pastor on 17th at Spruce in Philly at 10th Presbyterian Church. And... Um, he, was, he was dying of cancer and it was a short time for him and he was getting ready to transition to be with Jesus and they were singing a hymn that Dr. Boyce had written and they would sing this stanza and at the end of every stanza uh, it ends nothing hallelujah and at the end of every stanza uh, Dr. Boyce would raise his hand in victory. One of the stanzas goes like this, Victors were ordained to be by the God who set us free. What can therefore conquer me? Nothing. Hallelujah. Beloved, this is our hope. This is our hope. And Jesus has given us this glory because He's been loved by the Father from before the foundation of the world. Notice He says, because you've loved me, do this, Lord, because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. He's always been loved by God. He is God enjoying that blessed fellowship of the Trinity. And Jesus praises His Father and describes His people in verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know You, I know You, and these know that You have sent Me. I made known to them Your name. Jesus praises His Father. He calls His Father righteous. All that God does is right. All that He does is good. And though the world doesn't know the Father, Jesus knows the Father. And Jesus has revealed the name of His Father to us, His people. He has shown us God. He is God. And Jesus declares that He will continually make the Father's name known to His people. Notice that in verse 26. I will continue to make it known. Beloved, there's always more to know about God. More in quantity, He's infinite, and more in quality, deeper knowledge. There's a way of more deeply knowing what you already know. That's why when you hear something and you already know that, you need to know it deeper. You don't know it like you need to know it. You don't know Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, as deep as you need to know it. You don't. You don't know John 3.16 as deep as you need to know it. I don't. And there's always more to know about God. That's why heaven will never be boring. Children, some of you have been given wrong conceptions of what heaven is, like uh, resting on, on clouds with uh, big chubby little angels that play harps and it's an eternal church service. And you're like, oh, that's heaven. That's heaven. I don't want to go. Um, no, 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 children. Children, I, I want you to think about 
the most exciting. I used to get all excited about Friday nights when I had a sleepover. My friends were coming over and we're going to do this and that. And then on Saturday morning was the football game. And, and I'm just all excited. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to read The Hobbit. We're going to read The Lord. We're going to have a Lord of the Rings uh, uh, marathon and watch all of them. And there's going to be pizza and popcorn and everything. And you're going to have your friends over. And you're so excited. You can't wait. And, and it just goes from one height of joy to the other. You get pizza. And that's so amazing. And then you've got ice cream coming. And then you get to watch the movie. And it just gets better and better and better and better. And it just gets better all weekend. And then the weekend's over. Oh, I've got to go back to school Monday. And it, it, it all goes back down. Heaven is, is when it goes up and up and up and just gets better and better and better and you get happier and happier and happier for all eternity. That's heaven. That's what heaven's going to be like. Why is that? Because you are finite, God is infinite, and it's going to take you forever to get to know God. And the more you get to know God, the happier you're going to be. Woo! Praise, praise break time, baby. We had a Leslie organ. I mean, that's amazing. That is an amazing thought. And, and that's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 7. In the coming ages, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's going to take the coming ages for God to show you his kindness and love towards you. It just gets better and better and better and better for all eternity. That's what we got coming in about 50 years. Some of you, a hundred. Come, Lord Jesus. And so Jesus continually is making his Father's name known, even now. That's why Paul prays the way he does in Ephesians 3, 18 through 19. Have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus continues to make his name known to his people as he shows us more of the beauty of God and, and takes the things that we already know and, and drives them deeper into our hearts and souls. And the purpose of Jesus continuing to make known his father's name to his people is so that God's love would be in them and Jesus would be in them Final phrase in verse 26, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Beloved, Jesus began the farewell discourse with love and he ends it and this prayer with love. John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world. He loved them to the end. That's how he began. And he ends. That the love with which you, Father, have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prays here, beloved, that the same love that the Father has for the Son will be in us. The same love the same powerful, divine love that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, that same love would be in us that we would have the power of God to love God so that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and so that we will love our neighbor as ourselves. He's praying that we would keep the first and greatest and second commandments. Love. That we would love each other. That we would love each other. And that Christ would be in us.
for this is the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And all of that so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son in the world and that we would be about the mission of evangelism and missions for the glory of God and for the good of lost souls. And we get all of this because Christ's glory was hidden and crushed on that cross and He rose up from the dead and He ascended into heaven with all power and authority so that we can know this prayer is as good as done and it will be answered by our Father in heaven. And so go as Jesus has sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost and world missions and above all pursue Christ and His glory. Christ Jesus to the world is sent God the Son in flesh descent. With joy we praise, prepare Advent. He consecrates Himself and went to the cross where He was spent, bore God's wrath and cursed torment, died and rose to make ascent to His Father and present His blood. We're free, our praises vent. For from His wrath God does relent and mercy show to full extent. So now as one we represent Christ our King and preach repent. As He came, so we are sent to tell the world of His intent. Joy to the world is meant to be found in Christ content. Beloved, go as Jesus has sent you. Pursue unity. Pursue the lost and world missions. And above all, pursue Christ and His glory. Father, we pray that You would give us what Your Son has asked for. Lord, we are a church full of different people, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different parents. We look different. We act different. We have different convictions. Lord, we, we have different emphasis. We have different personalities. We have different sins. We are sinners. And yet, Lord, we have a common faith, a common statement of faith, a common Christ who's not common. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. Father, we pray that You would show us in ways as a church where we can grow in this oneness that Jesus prays for. We pray, Lord God, that You would help us learn to be quick to confess sin and, and ask for forgiveness and forgive one another. We pray, Lord God, that You would help us love one another deeply even when we have disagreements. Valid disagreements. Father, we pray that the love and unity and oneness that we have would take the world by storm and amaze the world because of Jesus who makes us one. We pray, Jesus, that You would dwell in us. We pray that we would know the great love that You have for us. Father, that we would know that You love us like You love the Son. Help us know that, God. Help us get that. Lord Jesus, we pray that You would continue to make Your name known to us in all the ways we need to know it, that we would know more about You, O oh God, that we would grow deeper in the knowledge we do have, that we would truly believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Father, we pray that we would have Your love in us 
that we might love you, God, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we might love our neighbors as ourselves. And Father, we pray that we would be witnesses to the world. We pray that you would give us opportunities for evangelism, that you would give us opportunities to speak of Christ to our friends and family and neighbors. Lord, we pray that you would guide anyone here who might be convicted that, yeah, I should, I should go. I should go to the Middle East. I should go to Iraq. I should go to Iran. I should go. Father, we pray that you would spur them on to pursue that, whoever you're calling. Father, we pray for Ryan Corbett. God, we ask, O Lord, that while he's in those horrid conditions right now for over a year in a Taliban prison, that you would meet him there. Lord, that you would be his all in all. That you would draw near to him and remind him of these truths that he's loved of you. Father, we pray for his wife, that you would help her trust you. We pray, Lord God, you would be with his children. We pray for mercy that you might bring him home. We pray that you would help him to be a witness in that prison and proclaim Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us think of him when we begin to complain about the small things in our lives. We pray for those in prison. We pray for those who are suffering. Father, we ask that you would set them free. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.